Welcome and thanks for joining us for this week's encouraging and faith-building message from C3 Topol. For more information about C3 Topol, visit our website c3churchtopol.org.nz. Now for this week's message. All right, so on with lawless love. The whole basis around the space of Scripture around the lawless love series is Galatians 5 verse 22, one of the great uh, children's church scriptures. If you went through kids' church, you would have learnt the, uh, the fruits of the Spirit song, but it lists off um, the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, self-control. Against such thing there is no law, that there's no law against us receiving God's love, and there should be no law against us giving away God's love from us. The pickle that we get into is when we want to love from our own well and from our own source, we find we run dry and overheat. And gnarly things can kind of happen inside of us because we were designed to be first and foremost connected to God, and God is love. And when we are connected to the eternal source of God's love, it flows first into our hearts, as Romans says, that God has poured out His love into our hearts. And when we receive God's love from us, we are then able to release God, when we receive God's love to us, we can then give God's love from us. So the thing, if he can get it to us, he'll get it through us. And so the lawless love is about us really allowing that fullness of God's love to continue to flow into our hearts, that it may continue to lawlessly flow from our hearts. But the title of this morning's message is Living on the Blue Door. If you download the podcast, they are always uh, 99% of the time from this service. The first service is always a little bit short, but uh, you get the this service that you're in or listening to if you're on the podcast is the second service on a Sunday morning. But it's life on the blue door. When I was young, as some of you may know, I lived in rural Whangarei, so, uh, which the, Malka, the male seniors are about to uh, head back up to uh, Whangarei to... Uh, have a great time up there. So we love you and God be with you and God bless you as you go into this new season of life. But uh, we lived in a rural property and on our boundary was a, a, a pine tree plantation like all these ones you see around the great area we live in. And we would play over the boundary fence, across the paddock, over the boundary fence. We would play in the forestry plant, plantation because it was Um, planted on really steep terrain and it was on a valley and in the bottom of this valley was a stream it would would fish for eels in it etc etc we'd slide down all the loose pine needles we'd build swings from the trees and we're always over over the fence like that's where kids like to play on the other side of the fence not on your side of the fence it always gets more exciting when you cross that boundary line so we play over there in these trees and it was great. So we're over there one day playing, and I look up, like above, probably like even higher than the apex of the ceiling. I'm, I'm just kind of looking around up into the treetops, these big pine trees, and there's a blue door in the pine tree. Not a word of a lie. Up, way up in this pine tree, there's just a, a single blue door horizontally positioned on two branches that are growing out like at a fork from this tree trunk. And my brother, my older brother, had somehow got this blue door up into this tree. It was this tree hut. That was it. There was just a blue door. There was no rail, no 
didn't, I don't even know if it was nailed on. It was just simply in the tree. And up the tree trunk, like there was branches. And then between the places where there wasn't branches, he had nailed on these huckery little pieces of wood. Although it's like the classic Kiwi tree hut. So there's like a few pieces of wood, and then there's a few branches, and there's a few pieces of wood until you finally would arrive at this blue door. And I might have been eight years old. I remember my father telling me, because he found out what my older brother had done getting this door up into this tree, telling us, younger kids, don't go up to that door. Some doors you need to go to, and that's not one that you need to go to. Don't go to that door. It's a whole other message. But sure enough, curiosity got the better of me because I used to see my brother up there and he was so high. And he'd be like, I can see the house and I can see over the kiwi fruit orchard and I can see, you know, down and see where the stream is and I can, I can see through all the, the treetops. And he kind of had this perspective that nobody else had. And we were envious of his position and his courage to get up into this tree. So I thought, blow it. I'm going to partake of what my brother has found in this blue door. So I climb up this tree on these gnarly old bits of wood and, and get myself on top of this door. And sure enough, it is amazing. Like when you're eight years old and you're kind of 30 or 40 feet high in a tree, it's spectacular. And that's it, just a blue door. There's no nothing to stop you from falling off. And yeah, I look back and I could see over the paddock to the roof of our house. And I would turn a little bit and I could look down over top of the kiwi fruit orchard, the, all the green leaves, like this thick green canopy. And I could turn a little bit more and it was just looking like eye height with the treetops. And a little bit more and I could see down into the valley. And for about 15 minutes, it was euphoric. For 15 minutes, it was all that I had it expected and wanted it to be. The perspective, the height, that little rush of adrenaline when you're, you go, you know, slightly too close to the edge or the door moves because it's not really nailed down properly and your heart rushes for a minute. For about 15 minutes or so, it was all that I wanted it to be. Then in about the 16th or 17th minute, I realized I was just an eight-year-old boy stuck on a blue door in a tree. And as far as I could see, and as much perspective as I had, and as exhilarating as it was, it was all boiled back down to the fact that I'd got myself stuck on a blue door in a tree. My world, although I could see, and I could have perspective, and it had given me a little bit of an, an emotional exhilaration, my world now consisted of a six by three blue door, 30 feet high in a pine tree. I was stuck in a tree and I could not get down. I tried to peer over the edge to see where that last foothold was, where that last, but I didn't make a visual map as I climbed up. I was just like, I just got to get on this door. I didn't plan my return route back down. It was, I was never going to jump it. And then I kind of, you, then you have the moment of, I was told not to climb this tree. This is why I was told not to climb the tree, because I'd get stuck. So dad comes, and he's at the bottom of the tree, and what he doesn't do is yell up to the tree, you know, yell up at me. When you get down here, 
I couldn't get down there. Like, there's not, there's 40 feet between him and I. There's nothing. Like, we, we, you wait till you get down. I said, well, I, man, I'm going to be waiting a long time because I, I can't get down. I'm stuck on this blue door. He didn't give me a speech. He began to climb this tree. Like up my brother's huckery. Like we were kids. Dad was full, full blown man size. And he grabs these. You know, he didn't get a hammer and fix them first. He just starts to climb this tree over the branches up. And I can't see. I can hear him, but I can't see because I don't want to look over the, the edge of the door. But I know he's coming. You know, the kids are yelling up and you can hear him coming. And, and all of a sudden, the greatest moment, Dad's head pops over the edge of this blue door. And here I am, and here's Dad's head. And he doesn't say much, but he gets up on top of this blue door and he puts me on his back and then proceeds to climb back down these rungs with now adult and child weight on him, carrying me, his rat bag boy, who had not done what he was meant to have done and did what he wasn't meant to have done. But he climbs up this tree and finds me and puts me on his back and, and climbs back down through this pine tree to the ground. And sure, there would have, would have been a lesson after the event, but there was no need for a lesson in the event. The event was lesson enough. You know, and sometimes we think we don't want to go to God because we're going to get a telling off, but most of the time we need to go to God because we've learned what we need to know, and now we need Him to help us figure out what we've learned. We've been through heartache and we've learned something. We've been through pain. We've been through sickness. We've been through depression. We've, been, we've learned something and, we, and we, we don't approach God for him to, to get an I told you so or I told you not to or why didn't you? He said, this is what's happened and this is how we're going to fix the problem. This is how we're going to get through it. This is how we're maybe not going to repeat. Will you go up the tree again, Mark? No, I probably won't go back up to the blue door. So I don't want to be trapped on that blue door anymore. There's a story in the Bible that Jesus was telling his disciples, and it's a story, not an actual event. It's called the parable of the lost son, and it's a similar story to what I went through, a son of a father who wanted his world expanded. He, he had his eyes set on a distant place and thought, if I could just get to that place, if I could just get to those people, if I could just get to that city, get to that town, get those people around my life, it's going to be so much better than what it is right now. And it's the story of the parables of the prodigal son. Now, when Jesus shares stories or, or paints pictures, he uses what we call hyperbole, which is intentional exaggeration. And Jesus doesn't use intentional exaggeration because he wants his fish to be bigger every time he tells the story or because he wants it to be better than someone else's version. Jesus uses, uses hyperbole when he speaks to spread the scope of the story so wide no one in humanity could possibly fall without, outside the parameters that Jesus has set. That he's, when, he, when, he, when he draws these mental images for us, when he uses his illustration for us, he's setting the parameters so wide that it enca encapsulates all of humanity. 
So you, although you may not identify with the exact scenario of these two boys in the story, the principle is, is that we fall somewhere in between. We may not be one or the other, but we are definitely somewhere in the middle. And we are all in need of God's lawless love to impact our hearts, our minds, and our lives, our marriages, our families, our workplaces, and our businesses. But this young boy, he says to his, his father, um, and they'll pop it up on the screens. I'm going to read through it. I'm just going to break it down a little bit. It says this, The younger one said to his father, Give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the youngest son got together all he had and set off for a distant land. There he squandered his wealth and wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. Found himself stuck on a blue door. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. His door just got smaller. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father. I'll say to him, I've sinned against you and heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like a servant. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. And he was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against you and heaven. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He had learned a lesson. But the father said, Bring the best. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. Bring the best calf. Bring the fattened calf, the prepared calf, the calf that has been set aside for a special occasion. And prepare it, kill it and prepare it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. I'll just paraphrase the next bit that meanwhile there's another son who is despising the celebration around the son who has returned home because he the son the older son had lived a good life a proper life an orderly life and he's saying I've never been able to celebrate with my friends like you're celebrating for the son who was a screw-up who blew it and the father says everything that I have son is already yours but we had to celebrate because the other son was lost, and he is found. There's actually two prodigals in this story. There's two prodigal sons. It's not just the one who went away. He, he through his distance, realized what he needed in the father. But the other one, because of his closest, closeness to the father, could not see what he already had. There's two prodigals, both of them, the one who went off and squandered his life and the, and the one who had lived a good life, a proper life, a right life, went to church every Sunday, read his Bible twice a day, prayed three times a week, fasted every second month, etc., etc. He was just as much in need of the love and the affirmation and the approval of the Father as was the other son. And we all fall somewhere in between and need that lawless love of God 
to flood our hearts. And all of us somewhere in our life, I believe, are living on a blue door, a part of our life that is confined, constrained, and we may be embarrassed about it. We may be ashamed about it. We may just be plain old stuck. And today, God is wanting to get you off that blue door. He's wanting to welcome you back into his house. As we read through the scripture, it says this, that I will set out and go back to my father. You have a place in God's house, not the church in God's house. He already has a place reserved for you that you have no fear of losing. You're not going to lose it to someone else. No one else is going to take your place. And the son who wandered off, the son who squandered his living and ended up on the blue door in the pig pen, stuck in this confined space after his life and excitement all boiled down, he realized, I've actually got a place somewhere else. I've got a place in my father's house. I've got a place to go back to. And he started this journey back towards his father. And then it goes on to say in verse 20, but while he was walking back, the father was looking out. The father wasn't buried somewhere doing something else. The father was anticipating the arrival home of his son. And God is not going to be surprised when you turn up, when you knock on his door. He has prepared a place for you, a place that is filled with his love, his acceptance, and his approval. Because while he was a long way off, his father saw him. His father didn't see him when he looked up from his work. His father didn't see him when he, when he got out of the task that he was in. His father saw him when the sun was a long way off, a way, way off, just trudging down the road. Can you imagine that walk home for that son? Can you imagine that walk of shame, having taken half of his father's estate and squandered it? And having to, the father knew what he was carrying. He knew the lesson that he had learned as he was walking home. He could see him. He was covered in pig filth. He was a servant in a pigsty. He did not have the privilege of eating their food, let alone using their shower. Covered from head to toe in his past. Covered from head to toe in his mistakes. Covered from head to toe in his history. Covered from head to toe in his failings and his flaws and his faults. And all of that replaying in his mind as he's walking home. What's it going to be like when I see dad? As I was thinking, what's it going to be like when my father's head pops over that blue door? What am I going to be in for when I see him face to face? But the father saw him coming a long way off. And it says this, this is, God, this is not a story that took place. This is an illustration of God seeing us, God seeing you. This is an illustration of how you can come back to relationship and encounter with God the Father. But while God the Father was watching, he saw you a long way off. And God the Father was filled with compassion for you. And God the Father ran to his son and ran to you and threw his arms around him and kissed him amongst the mess, the faults, the flaws, the disgrace, the dirt, the grime. Everything that he was carrying from the past was the place of encounter for the future. And the son said to him, Dad, I've blown it. I've sinned against you and this and that. He'd learned the lesson. He knew the error of his ways. 
And God's not the guy to rub salt in the wound and to say, I told you so and why didn't you? Yeah, and if you'd only listen, well, it is what it is. The chips have fallen where they have. We have the hand we've been dealt. And it says, the son said this to him, but the father had something to say to him in reply. But God, and when there's a but God, it's always a game changer. When there's a but God, something's about to get turned around. When there's a but God, history is about to rewritten. Where there's a but God, a miracle's about to take place. Where there's a but God, a son or a daughter is about to be set free. Where there's a but God, everything is about to change. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring me the best. Don't go to the op shop, the second hand shop, the spare room. Go to the room where I keep everything special. Go to the room where I keep everything good. Go to the room where everything has been set aside for such a time as this. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring a ring and put it on his finger. And every one of these symbolizes something significant. Put sandals on his feet. Bring the fat and calf and kill it. Let's celebrate and have a feast. For the son of mine was dead and now he was alive. That was the father's response to the sinfulness of his son. God, he's been given back to me. Let's celebrate. He's been given back to me. Let's have a party. He's been given back. I don't care what shape he's in. He's just been given back to me. I've got another go at relationship. I've got another go at rebuilding my life. I've got another go at rebuilding my my marriage or my career or whatever it, it might be. So they celebrated. And there's two people in the room today. There's those who have walked away and it's time for you to walk back. And it's not a walk of shame. It's not a walk. You may feel these things, but that's not what it is. It's a walk back to relationship. It's a walk back to the place where you already belong. Not proving it. You don't have to work yourself back to your spot at the table. It's there for you today to come and take your place seated in high places and heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. And there's others here today and you never knew you even had a place at all. This is good news for you because you have a place with Jesus. You have a place with the Father. For Jesus said, I am the way the truth and the life, like no one comes to the Father but through me, that He has made a way and He has opened a door that no one can shut, that you and I may find the place that He has already prepared in advance for us. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Have a blessed week.